And uh, take your Bible, please, and go to the book of Luke. Gospel according to Luke chapter 11. Así trajo su Biblia. Vaya, por favor, a San Lucas capítulo 11. Tomamos lectura ahí esta noche. We've been talking about prayer, and this is an important topic for the body of Christ, for the church, for the believer. There's no way around it. Through prayer, God has given us the ability to touch heaven from earth. Amen, somebody. And uh, as a result of answered prayer, heaven can touch the earth. Jesus taught us to pray saying, thy will be done where? On earth, as it is in heaven. And so God unleashes the power of heaven on the earth through prayer and through answered prayer. Hemos estado hablando de la oración y no hay forma de exagerar la importancia de la oración, ya que a través de la oración usted y yo podemos tocar el cielo. Y esta noche vamos a ver, uh, vamos a estudiar tres aspectos o tres uh, uh, áreas de la oración o niveles de, de la oración que cada uno de usted, ustedes puede uh, tomar. Tonight we're going to be looking at three realms of prayer which every believer can operate in. And this is a little bit of a deep topic. We're going to start on the shallow level where we're accustomed to studying and hearing about prayer. Then we're going to go a little deeper uh, with that toward the third uh, level. So uh, just keep your uh, pen and your pencil sharp, take notes, and then uh, go back over this as we study. And we see, I'm just going to give you what these three realms are. I've covered them briefly with you before, but it's been quite a while. And they're important because in every realm, certain things are accomplished. When we say a realm, we don't really use that, realm, that word here in the United States because we don't have a king. But a realm refers to the, the place of rulership of a particular individual. Uh, and so when we talk about three realms of prayer, we talk about how the believer can operate in these three areas of God's sovereign dominion. God is sovereign, and he operates in the earth through prayer. He's given man dominion, and therefore, uh, he doesn't take that back and say, well, you're not using it, so I'm going to take it back. He leaves it with us, and it's not until we pray that we are able to touch these various areas of life. And so we see three realms of prayer the first one is God as our Father. We'll talk about that. Then we see God as a friend. We'll talk about that. And then we'll see God as a judge. And we, when we operate in these three different realms, we'll understand that certain things are accomplished in each one, which are vital to our life. For example, when we talk about God, or we approach God as our Father in prayer, we're asking him for the things that we need. This is personal. We come to God personally on a personal basis. When we come to him as a friend, we come on, the, on behalf of others. And that's generally seen as intercession. And then when we come to God as a judge, we come to ask him to intervene legally on behalf of a particular cause or case. Just like you would a judge. Vemos a Dios como nuestro Padre. Y esto es para nuestras peticiones personales. Cosas que necesitamos o queremos 
Venimos a Dios en la oración a través de este primer nivel que es Dios como Padre. Luego vemos a Dios como nuestro amigo. Y esto es la oración a favor de otros, la oración a favor de alguien más. Y luego vemos a Dios como un juez y oramos a Dios como un juez, así como iríamos delante de un juez, juez para uh, hacer un argumento legal y pedir que se, que se haga algo legalmente a favor de nosotros. And so with that in mind, let's read what the Gospel of Luke says here, Luke chapter 11 Uh, verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place. Say this with me. Jesus prayed. I should pray too. If Jesus prayed, then you should pray too. We should have a prayer life. It says that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. And we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. For he said to them, suppose that one of you has a friend who goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, I do, not, do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it is opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion. Will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Everybody said amen. Father God, we thank you today for your living word. We pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach the word and that you would anoint the, the hearing of this congregation, that they might hear the word in faith, And practice it in their life. Let it bear much fruit in us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Tonight I'm going to go through these realms of prayer uh, somewhat quickly. Because there's a lot of room or a lot of ground to cover. But they're important for us to understand. And we see two of them mentioned here in the portion that we have read. Vemos uh, tres de las relaciones de la oración mencionadas aquí en la, la porción que hemos leído. Vamos a ver aquí primero la oración que se llega a Dios como nuestro Padre. So let's look first as prayer on behalf of the believer who comes to God as their father. It's important to understand that God is not the father of all men. 
or all people. But rather, God is the Father of believers in His Son, Jesus Christ. Es importante entender que Dios no es el Padre de todos, sino solamente el Padre de los creyentes. And so this is a, an exclusive relationship that it belongs to you as a believer. Esta es una relación exclusiva a los creyentes y este nivel de oración solamente entran los creyentes. This level of prayer belongs to the children of God. And so Jesus, when he is asked by his disciples, teach us to pray. That is a good prayer or a good request to make of God, to teach us to pray. Ellos hacen una plegaria, una petición, enséñanos a orar. And so he teaches them to pray to God as their father. Y ahí les enseña a orar a Dios como nuestro padre. The word father is the most favorite word of Christ in relation to God uh, or in relation to his father. It's the word he uses more in all of the gospels than any other word. 165 times in the Gospels, Jesus calls God Father. La palabra Padre es la palabra favorita de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, el nombre favorito de nuestro Señor cuando Él habla con el Padre o hacia el Padre. 165 veces oímos que Él se refiere a Dios como Padre. And this is so uh, uh, valuable as an instruction to us. Es una instrucción muy valorosa para nosotros. Because if Jesus uh, did all of these extraordinary things and he did them by the power of the Spirit, he did them motivated, as I have taught you before, by the fact that he knew that the Father loved him, that, the knew, that he knew that the Father was pleased with him, that he knew that the Father believed uh, and had sent him. And uh, so this relationship, uh, this closeness between Christ and the Father uh, ought to be reflected in our life. And our prayer life ought to reflect the closeness of a child toward their father. Uh, the closeness of a, of a son or a daughter coming to their dad. And so Jesus is teaching us the proximity that we can have with God in relationship. There ought not to be a strain in our relationship with God. No debe haber distancia en nuestra relación con Dios. In fact, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that in, in Mark 13, uh, 14, he was sweet, uh, sweating drops of blood. Jesús en el huerto, del, uh, en el jardín de Gethsemane, estaba derramando uh, gotas de sudor y sangre. Y él llamó a Dios como padre. He called to God as his father. And there he used the word Abba, which is daddy. And right there in the most crucial moment of his life, we see Christ approaching God as his Abba, as his father. Ahí vemos en el momento más crucial de decisión, en ese jardín de aflicción, que él llama a Dios Abba, o papi. Se acerca a Dios de esa a forma tan tierna y nos enseña a nosotros a que debe haber esa, ese calor, uh, esa ternura hacia Dios. So there ought to be that same warmth, that same tenderness in our relationship uh, with God as our Father. And when we come in prayer with this in mind, cuando oramos con esto en mente, we start to realize that our Father is a heavenly Father. Entendemos 
que aquí hay un Dios celestial, un Padre celestial. The Gospel of Matthew translated as um, our Father who art in heaven. And here we see again, Father, hallowed be your name. And so we have a heavenly Father. Uh, hablamos aquí de un Dios, un Padre celestial. Padre nuestro que está donde? En los cielos. Our Father who is where? So Jesus doesn't too quickly want us to, to uh, think of God as uh, just one of us. He wants us to have in mind that he is our heavenly father. Él quiere que tengamos en mente que él es nuestro padre celestial. Para no hacerlo algo muy común. And so many times uh, that can happen that people talk about God as the man upstairs or they talk about God uh, by contrast as someone who's just like one of us. And the fact is that God is the sovereign of the universe. And he is the Lord of glory. And he is the uh, creator of the earth. And he is the judge of all men. And he is also our father. And so when we pray, we're speaking to our heavenly father, our heavenly dad, who is also the sovereign are the most powerful being in all, of the, in all of the earth. And is capable of doing the things that we ask. Él es capaz de hacer entonces, por su poder y soberanía, las cosas que tenemos uh, por necesidad. At the latter part of this portion then, Jesus refers to God as a, as a by contrast to an earthly father. Uh, luego, al, al fin de esta porción, Jesús nos da el contraste a Dios como un Padre terrenal. And so he, con, he compares earthly fathers to our heavenly father. Él compara a nuestro Dios, uh, a nuestro Padre celestial con los padres naturales o los padres uh, físicos. And he says to them, he says, how many of you who are fathers, suppose one of you, and this is verse, in verse 11, who has uh, a son, if your son comes and asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? You can all answer the question. No. Jesús dice, si tu hijo te pide, si eres padre, tu hijo te pide un pez, un pescado, una, algo para comer, le darías una serpiente. La respuesta naturalmente no. And he says, if he asks you for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Si te pide una, un, un huevo, entonces no le vas a dar una escorpión. What's Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us that even earthly fathers represent and, and uh, can reflect the, the tenderness of God the Father to us. And so then he says, now, you being evil, he's saying, you being sinners, you being prone to mistakes, all earthly fathers make mistakes. All earthly parents make mistakes. And so he says, if you being evil, if you making mistakes, you being a sinner, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your heavenly father, who doesn't make mistakes, who doesn't um, show partiality or favoritism, who doesn't get it wrong, who has no sin, how much more will he give you good things when you ask for them? And he says the word, how much more? 
And so he's saying that the Father wants to give not only what you ask, but more than what you ask or better than what you ask. So when we talk about this realm of prayer, we understand that we come to God as our Father and we come to him for our needs. And so Jesus teaches us to ask for these things. He says we should pray for daily bread. That means the daily needs of our life. Aquí Jesús nos enseña cómo orar en este nivel de la oración. Hacemos una oración para nuestras necesidades. Esto es algo personal, algo uh, de cada uno de nosotros. Algo necesitado por nosotros. Y él primero nos enseña a pedir nuestro pan diario de cada día. So Jesus tell, tells us when you approach God as your father, you are to ask him for the things that you need, uh, the things that you desire. And, and uh, God is not uh, too high up on the rank to be concerned about your individual personal needs for daily bread. A Dios le interesa lo más mínimo de tu vida. Y que tú le hagas la petición aún más mínima en tu vida. And this ought to be uh, in our hearts tonight. Debe esto estar en nuestro corazón. Que a Dios le importa lo más pequeño uh, de nuestra vida. So this ought to be a reality for us. That God cares. God cares about your needs. He cares about your daily needs and desires. And then he tells us to forgive our sins. So we come to God and we ask him to forgive us, to forgive our sin. Luego venemos a Dios y le pedimos que él perdone nuestros pecados. And so we have there the element of confession. Tenemos ahí el elemento de confesión. Why do we do this on this level? Because you cannot, uh, you cannot, no one else can get forgiveness for you. You have to come to God for yourself. Hacemos esto en este nivel porque nadie más puede pedir perdón de tu parte. Tú lo tienes que hacer. The, uh, on Sunday we celebrated uh, Grandparents Day, but the fact is that God has no grandchildren. Everyone has to be first generation with God. You have to become a child of God by faith, your faith, not grandma's faith, not mama's faith, not dad's faith or granddad's faith. It has to be your personal faith. And that element of confession cannot be uh, uh, done by anybody else. Esa confesión no puede ser, hacerse por alguien más. Dios te va a perdonar a ti. Y Dios, porque no tiene nietos, todos tienen que ser hijos. Tener esa primera relación con Dios. And then he says, and we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And this is really a prayer of submission to the will of God. Aquí está una oración para, la, para sujetarse a la voluntad de Dios. Dios queremos perdonar así como tú perdonas. God, we want to forgive the way you forgive. And listen, submission to the will of God and the way of God is, is something, again, that can't be done by somebody else. It has to be done by you individually. If, if I could save Beville by, by uh, confessing their sins for them and, and uh, forgiving them and so on, then, then we would all be covered. But you have to do it personally. And every human heart is required to submit to God's will 
and God's way for their life. Have you done that? ¿Cuántos están sujetos a la voluntad de Dios? Well, you know, we'll see what happens. See how they treat me. They, we'll see how people deal with me. No, you have to decide. I'm going to submit to the will of God no matter what happens in my life. And then he says, lead us not into temptation. So he's, he's praying there for God's guidance and direction in his life personally. And that's a promise that we have received from God, that we will have the, the voice of God, the voice of the Spirit guiding and directing our life. And these are the, the things you would naturally ask a father for. Naturalmente le pediríamos estas cosas a nuestro padre. Un niño le pide a su padre pan. Si tiene hambre. Un niño le pediría a su padre perdón porque son las leyes de la casa que él violó. Un, un niño aprende los caminos de su padre. Cómo hacer las cosas. Y también un niño quiere ser guiado por su padre. So we see there the four things. Every child, would, uh, these would naturally be in the father-son relationship or father-daughter relationship. A father, a, a son or daughter would would ask their father for food. They would ask their father to forgive them because they had broken the law of the house. They would want to do the will of their father or learn the, their ways of their father. And fourth, they would want to be led by their father. And so all of these practical aspects of that relationship of father and son emerge in this a level of prayer. When we come to God, we want to be explicit about the things that we need. Don't just say, God bless me. Jesus teaches us here very specifically. Give me this day daily bread. And so when we pray, Lord, just bless me, we're being very general. But when we get specific with our Father, we come to Him with confidence and, uh, and his ability to answer. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Vea también Romanos capítulo 8 y el verso 15. The Bible says there, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now this verse is very profound. Aquí está un texto muy profundo. Romanos 8.15, que dice que no hemos recibido el espíritu de esclavitud uh, para regresar de nuevo al temor, sino que habéis recibido el espíritu de adopción por el cual clamamos Abba Padre. And this is what the, this, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. When you became a believer, you became a Christian by putting your faith in Christ. Cuando usted fue hecho un cristiano o una creyente, porque puso su fe en Cristo. Fue hecho literalmente hijo de Dios. You were literally made a child of God. Somebody should say amen to that. Let all the children of God say amen. Usted fue hecho hijo de Dios por el espíritu de adopción. You were given the spirit of adoption. And, and this is how you know that you've been adopted. Y esa es la forma que sabes que, que eres adoptado. Que cuando oras, te allegas a Dios como tu padre. 
He says one of the ways you know you've been adopted is that when you come to God, you come to God in prayer and the spirit of adoption within you causes you to call God Father or Abba. And then in another place in that same chapter, he says that, that if you're led by the spirit of God, you're a child of God. Luego dice, si eres guiado por el Espíritu de Dios, los que son guiados por el Espíritu de Dios son los hijos de Dios. So uh, the spirit of adoption has made you, that's the Holy Spirit, has made you a child of God. El Espíritu de adopción te ha hecho a uh, uh, hijo de Dios. Ahora, cuando tú oras, now when you pray, it's not a stretch, it's not hard, it's not fake to ask or, or to uh, call God Father. Ahora ya no es algo ajeno poder hablar con Dios como tu padre porque has sido adoptado y hecho parte de la familia de Dios. Are you with me tonight? I'll just mention one more time what he says there in Luke 11, uh, uh, verse 12 and 13. That he says, your father, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give you? God wants to give you more and better than what you ask. Dios quiere darte más y mejor que lo que tú pides. You've got to really be convinced of that. Convéncete de eso. Convince yourself of that by this. You really don't have to convince yourself. It comes by the spirit of adoption. The reality that the spirit bears witness with us that we are going to receive more and better from God than we ever could have asked or imagined. How many of you believe that? ¿Cuántos esperan eso? So uh, we have that first level of prayer. Now most Christians never get out above that level. Now you shouldn't get out of it in the sense that you always want to come to God as your father. But you want to go to a, a, a higher level as well. A muchos cristianos tristemente nunca crecen más allá que ese nivel. Y ese es un nivel donde tenemos que vivir diariamente, pero no es el único nivel donde podemos operar. It's the level we have to live in daily, but we don't operate there exclusively. There are higher levels. And so now let's go to Luke chapter, well, they're, they're in Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 8. We see this parable of Christ. Ahí vemos una parábola de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. And in this teaching on prayer, Jesus gives them first the, the model prayer, or which we call the Our Father prayer, and then he gives them this parable of prayer. And in verse 5, he talks to them about a friend. And he says, how many of you have a friend that you can go to at midnight? How many of you have a friend like that? Or a relative? ¿Cuántos tienen un amigo que pueden ir a la medianoche con ellos? How many of you have a friend like that? Uh, you know, day or night, rain, or drought, they're there. We can call them any hour, any moment. And, and here's the fact, that God wants you and I to have a relationship with him like that. To understand that God is my most reliable friend. My most dependable friend. And, uh, and we're going to see why this is a higher level in just a moment. 
I want you to understand this because uh, there, is, there is here a, a, a comparison then that's drawn between our earthly friends and our heavenly friends. And we see here, he says, which of you has a friend that he can go to at midnight and say to him, lend me three loaves? Now, in this culture, in the ancient world, it's very um, impolite to have a guest in your house and not offer them something to eat. It's a high, high level of hospitality. And so, you know, nowadays what we would do if a friend says, hey, I'm in town, you want to have dinner? What? You don't think about cooking a a, a roast right there, right? You say, let's meet at this restaurant. But they don't have that in that world. So if they come to your house, and, and so Jesus says, this friend uh, shows up at after midnight, and they say to you, hey, I have some guests that came over, uh, uh, and I need three loaves of bread because I don't have anything to set before them. Now, this is a picture of, of man's condition. This is the reality. Every, every person has to understand this. We have nothing to offer if it doesn't come from God. The answers that our world needs, the church doesn't have. They have to come from God. They have to come from the Word of God. They have to come from the Spirit of God. So all of us tonight have to say we have people in our lives that we want to help but can't help. Todos tenemos en nuestra vida personas que queremos ayudar, pero no podemos ayudar. Maybe you have a son or daughter in your life that you want to help, but you can't help in the particular way that they need. Or maybe it's a neighbor, someone that lives in your neighborhood. You'd love to help. Either they're suffering from cancer or they're going through the loss of a job. You want to help, but don't have the resources to help them. Or maybe... And maybe it's our community or our nation that we look around and we say, God, there is a world around us that's hurting, that's broken, that's defeated. We want to help, but we have nothing to set before them. Y esa la realidad de esta parábola, que ahora llegamos a este lugar donde tenemos personas que queremos ayudar, pero no podemos. Now, what do you do if you have somebody that you want to help but you can't help. You just shrug your shoulders. Pat them on the head and say, God bless you. Hopefully it works out. No, there's something you can do. You can go to God in prayer. ¿Qué puede hacer usted cuando tiene amigos o vecinos o una comunidad que necesita ayuda y usted no tiene los recursos para ayudarles será que usted simplemente va a decir bueno no, no puede hacer nada voy a dejar que esto pase o que a lo mejor uh, les vaya bien no él tiene ahí en su mente la idea de que usted y yo tenemos alguien con quien con quien ir we have someone who we can go to and look at again, we have a, a lesson on specific prayer. How many loaves does he want? Three. Now, you can uh, look at different commentaries. They all kind of give you an example or an idea of what the, the three represent. I don't know what the three represents. It could have been four. could have been two. 
doesn't really matter. The point is he knows what he wants. He knows what he needs. Do you know what you need? Do you know what you want? Do you know what, the, what it's going to take to fill the need of the people God has assigned for you to feed? The, the things that, that are going to be necessary. Maybe you say, uh, for me to do the thing God called me to do, I'm going to need a van. I'm going to need a car. I'm going to need a house with several bedrooms. In order for me to do the thing God wants me to do, I'm going to need a building. Or I'm going to need uh, airplane tickets. Or I'm going to need a passport. Or I'm going to need uh, to uh, be able to recruit people to help me. Or maybe you say, I'm going to need uh, a certain amount of money. Or Do you know what it's going to take for you to fulfill the assignment God has for your life? Specific prayer is a powerful uh, weapon in, in this level of prayer. Then we see that this is an urgent prayer. He's not going to wait till the, till the sun comes up. He's coming right now in the middle of the night to ask for the things that he needs. So we see there's urgency in his request. Aquí vemos que hay también algo específico, quiere tres panes, y luego hay algo urgente. No se espera para la mañana, sino que urgentemente va buscando la cosa que está necesitando. And now we see this, this other element, and the scripture says that he gets an answer from his earthly friend. Él recibe una respuesta de su amigo terrenal. Here's the answer. Go away. ¿Cuál es la respuesta? Vete ya. No me puedo levantar para ayudarte. I cannot get up to help you. And he gives all the reasons why. And he says... Uh, I can't get up to give you anything because uh, uh, my children are already asleep. You got to think about in the ancient world, there were probably a one or two room house. So at night, everybody slept on the floor. You have to climb over all the kids. And, you know, if you just put the baby to sleep, the last thing you want to do is wake him up. So you have that hungry child that soon as they wake up, they're going to need something to eat. So he doesn't want to go through all of that. And he says, the children are already in bed. The door is already locked. Again, ancient world, the door would not have had a little deadbolt. It would have had bars, possibly chains. So this is going to be a great inconvenience. And I'm in bed. So he's calling out from from his bed. But now we see this, this reality. He says that he keeps persisting. Keeps knocking. So there is a persistence in prayer. And, and Jesus taught us like this. Then he said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock. And the door will be open unto you. And so we see that sometimes there is a need for persistence in prayer. Uh, the, the famed preacher Charles Spurgeon put it like this. He said, faith asks, hope seeks, and love knocks. Faith asks 
because it believes it's possible. Hope seeks because it knows it's here somewhere. I got to look for it. It's in here somewhere. Why are you looking for your keys in the house? Because they're in here somewhere. I know that. You've, you've been there? But why does love knock? Because love knows that that's my friend. And if God is my friend, if we have a love connection like that, he's bound to answer. He can't leave me unanswered. Come on, somebody. God loves you. So keep knocking. Dios te ama. Y, y dice el hermano Spurgeon que la fe pide y el, la esperanza busca, pero el amor llama. El amor llama. La esperanza busca porque sabe que aquí lo voy a hallar. Hay esperanza de hallarlo. Pero la, el amor sigue tocando la puerta hasta que haya una solución o un remedio. Now this, this type of prayer, this level of prayer I mentioned to you before is on behalf of somebody else. And I think that there, there's a little bit of a difference here then. When we ask God for something that we need, we ask once and we thank him and we receive it by faith. But when we, be, when we ask on behalf of others, there, there has to be a persistence in prayer. When we look at the book of Daniel, the Bible says that Daniel prayed 21 days. He kept persistently praying. He was praying on behalf of the nation of Israel. And that persistent in prayer brought about the revelation of, of uh, the, the 70, days, uh, 70 weeks of Daniel, which was the calendar for the entire end times program that God has for the world. So by his persistence in prayer, God brought about a revelation concerning the nation of Israel and the nations of the world. And God is, is moved upon us as a friend. When we come to God uh, on behalf of somebody else, we are coming to God as we would our friend. And the Bible says that Abraham was called a friend of God. And look at what God does in Genesis chapter 18. Let's go there and look at this uh, level of prayer. Genesis chapter 18. We have here the, this uh, incredible scene where God is going to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 18, tenemos el ejemplo del amigo de Dios, que es Abraham. Y... Hay algo increíble aquí, lo mencioné el domingo, pero es fascinante pensar que Dios no quiso hacer nada con Sodoma y Gomorra sin primero hablar con Abraham. Now this, how fascinating is this? That God won't do what he wants to do until he talks to Abraham. Now, I've taught you that God is a just God. Les he enseñado que Dios es un juez, un Dios justo. That means he won't do anything out of, out of line. Dios no hace nada fuera de la línea. Say amen, somebody. You got to say amen because if God is not just, we're all toast. You know that the, the Muslims believe that when you get to heaven, even if you died for Allah, it just depends what, what attitude he's in whether he'll let you in or not. 
So you don't want a, an unjust God. The God of the Bible, the God revealed in the Bible is a just God. Right is always right, wrong is wrong, and he's going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, but he comes down to earth to check it out for himself because he's just. He doesn't want to just judge this place. He wants to do so according to his law, according to righteousness. And then he, he comes to visit Abraham, and when he's leaving Abraham's house, he says, shall I do this thing without telling Abraham what I'm about to do? This is Genesis 18, 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about upon Abraham that which he has spoken. And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed greater, and their sin is exceedingly great. So now he's telling Abraham what he is about to do. Why does he come to Abraham? God is looking for an intercessor. He's looking for someone who will pray on behalf of somebody else. And he knows that he can count on Abraham because Abraham is his friend. And a, a friend knows the heart of his friend. And so God is looking for us to come to this level of friendship with him. This place of trust and conviction just that Abraham uh, enjoyed and shared so that we can, we can become a part of his program. Uh, Abraham was not the only person God could have spoken to. Sarah was in, the, in this chapter. Why didn't God go to Sarah? Well, because when he told her she was going to have a child, she laughed. But probably not the person who he could count on to intercede. She might have said, they have it coming. The last time we went to that place, we barely got out alive. Let them have it. I don't know what Sarah might have said, but she could have. And then there's another man who's got a lot of skin in the game. His name is Lot. He lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. And why doesn't God tell him? Why doesn't God say, I can't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah without telling Lot? Apparently, he could have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and never told Lot anything. But why didn't he tell Lot? Because Lot was a backslidden man. He came out of the righteous relationship he had with Abraham, but apparently had no real reverence for God. And when he finally does get a warning that his city is about to be destroyed, and he goes and tells everybody, hey, you know, get ready. They're going to destroy the city tomorrow. They laughed at him because his testimony did not look like his message. His lifestyle was one of one of the guys, I, I, I live like everybody else. And then he wanted to talk religious, he wanted to talk righteous, and nobody could, could buy it. So God goes with his friend, he goes with someone who he can count on, and that's where we ultimately 
find out what friendship with God is really about. It's not about being buddies. It's about being partners. It's about being on the same page with God. And being a part of the agenda. God, what do you want done? That's what I want to get done. That's what, I, that's what motivates my heart. God says, that's my friend right there. Someone who wants to see my mission, my goals, my agenda accomplished in their life. And Abraham was just such a man. I, I think he can find 10 or 20 at least in here tonight. Come on, is there anybody in here who wants to be a friend of God? Who is willing to partner with God? Now remember, God, I have, to, I have to explain something I said earlier, but God gave man dominion. And he's not going to take it back. So in order for him to save Sodom and Gomorrah, someone has to take dominion. Is there a church here tonight? I told you it's going to be a little deeper. Now, you could say, well, if God wanted to save them, he could anyway, and the answer is yes, but he wouldn't because he has established what his law is. And so he has required that there be a, a man to pray, someone to intercede. And this is very important because in the book of Ezekiel, God says, I looked for a man who would stand before me and intercede, and I didn't find one. So God won't spare Sodom and Gomorrah unless there's an intercessor, unless there's a prayer. Uh, someone who will move by prayer to touch the heart of God. And that's what we see now, that God looks around and he says, who can I count on to pray? Not Sarah, not Lot, not Eleazar, nobody else. I've got to go to Abraham. Come on, somebody. I hope God can count on us to pray. To read the spiritual headlines and be moved by those, uh, those realities to go before God in prayer. And so we have the famous intercession of Abraham before God. Now, uh, Abraham ultimately does not save Sodom and Gomorrah, but who does he save? He saves his, his family. Now, I think the scholars disagree, but I think if he had asked God to save Sodom and Gomorrah, if there was but one righteous man in the city, he would have done it. But he stopped at 10. And scholars differ as to why he stopped at 10. I think here's the point. You can change history by prayer. And Abraham goes into this level. And, and listen, there's a point in life when a, when a son becomes a friend to their father. You, you know that? It's a sweet place for a grown man to be able to talk to his dad like a friend. And that's what Abraham is doing. He's coming to God and he's looking at him eye to eye and saying, 
Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Are you going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked? And although his intercession stops before ultimately achieving, what he does do is he saves his family. And I want to just encourage you with that. You may not save everybody, but if you save your family, you'll have made a difference for eternity. Come on, somebody. Is there a church here tonight? All right, now we've got to go one more level because we're running out of time, and that's Luke 18. We'll start there. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. Ahora vamos al tercer nivel. Esto lo vamos a leer en Lucas 18, verso 1 al 8. This is the, the level of prayer where we approach God as a judge or a magistrate. Aquí en esta, este nivel de oración nos allegamos a Dios así como nos allegaríamos a un juez. That's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks when I taught you to think before you pray. If you had to make a legal argument, present a legal case, would you, would you get ready before you went to the judge? Come on, it's, I need an answer. Of course you would. And, and that's why we have lawyers, so they can get ready. It's going to be a sad day in court if you go in there unprepared. I don't know what... What, is the, what are the legal arguments that you have to stand on? And so I've been teaching you that when you pray, you, you should take the word of God with you in prayer. Because the word of God is the will of God. And now in this level of prayer, we see how prayer is affecting like it, uh, the, the example or the, uh, the realm of a courtroom. We read here in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Now, I was telling him a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray. When should you pray? And not lose heart. You've got to tie those two things together. Don't stop praying and don't give up. At all times, you ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to her, Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because of this widow, because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, for the Son of Man... However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now again, we have this contrast. This time it's between the un, this unjust judge and God says, look, even wicked judges will do justice. 
when they are moved upon by the persistence of the legal argument. Even, and, and so what's the point? If an unjust judge can be moved upon to do righteousness when they don't want to, then how much more the eternally just God Will he not do righteousness when we appeal to him on the basis of his righteous word? Is there a church here tonight? See, God, that's why you have to know the word of God. Now, we talked about cases uh, or people who we want to help but can't help. That's the level of friendship. But now we get to, to cases, matters that have legal ramifications in our life. And I'm not just talking about uh, American legal system. I'm talking about spiritual, the spiritual legal system. For instance, there are things that happen in people's lives. For instance, a curse might come into a, a person's life because of something they did or said. That's a legal matter. And it needs to be dealt with in the courtroom of heaven. It's got to be dealt with legally before God. I told you we're going to go deep tonight. You still here? So I'm, I'm giving you this parable, which is an example of a natural courtroom. But what Jesus is pointing out is that there are legal things that have nothing to do with American legal system. They have to do with the the, the legal system of the spiritual world. And I'll probably have to take another, another uh, opportunity to teach you this. But I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Primera de Pedro, capítulo 5, verso 8. Here we are told that the devil is our adversary. So the devil is like the prosecutor in the court in the courthouse. He says, "Your adversary, your prosecutor, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour." Next verse, please. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished in uh, by your brethren who are in the world. All right. Now, what does he call the devil? He calls him an adversary, a prosecutor. What's he doing? He's prowling around looking for someone to devour. What is the devil looking for? Here's what we think. He's got a long uh, pitchfork and a pointy tail. And he's looking around and see if he can get you to smoke what you shouldn't smoke or drink what you shouldn't drink or whatever. And here's the fact. What he's looking for is a legal opening to attack. And so if he can get you to do the things that you know you shouldn't do or that God forbids, then he'll get you to open a door that he can come in and attack your life. Jesus taught us like, or the apostle taught us like this, he said, be angry, but sin not. And don't let the sun go down on your anger so that you don't give the adversary an opportunity. 
So if you and I operate in a spiritual world and we do things spiritually that are opportunities for the enemy, then the way that we have to combat the results of those bad decisions or bad actions is to enter the courtroom of heaven, to come before God as our judge. Job, the Bible says that Job was a righteous man. But Job had a lot of fear. In, in one place, Job says, everything I feared has come upon me. Where does fear come from? Fear is, is not of God. Say amen, somebody. You've been given not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But because of Job's fears, he opened the door to the adversary. And so the adversary was able to attack all that Job possessed. And remember that, that, that when the angels had to come and report to God in the throne room of heaven, here comes the devil and he says, look at Job. And, and this is the point I'm making tonight, is that Job was attacked by Satan because there were, there were openings there. And some people, and even Job, uh, make this argument against God. Well, if God were good, and, and I've been good, and all of these things, and God is saying, the problem isn't me being you good or you being good. The problem is when you let these doorways in your life, the enemy comes in, and he will wreak havoc in your life. Sin is no joke. Sin is not a game. Life is not a playground for you to see how far can you get and still be a Christian. There's an adversary looking for a way to destroy and to devour. And God wants you to win. Say amen, somebody. I said God wants you to win. What do you have to do? You have to come to God and ask for justice. Not against your neighbor, against your relative who owes you money. Ask for justice against the evil one, against the enemy who has come against you in your life. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 5, 34. Mateo 5, 34. Un ejemplo. Here's what the Bible says. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or by, for it is the throne of God. What does Jesus say there? Make no oath. So don't say, cross my heart, hope to die, poke a needle in my eye, I won't do this. Don't say that stuff. God forbids it. Don't say, I swear to God. Don't, don't say that. Jesus is teaching us here, don't make oaths. Don't make vows. Are you still with me? Now, I want to teach you something here. Because there are vows that we make sometimes to ourselves. So you have a woman who was, who was hurt by a husband. Maybe they got divorced. And she says, I will never let a man hurt me like that again. 
What did she just do? She just made a vow. And she said, as far as men men are concerned, I will be in control of my life. And now she's praying, Lord, send me a husband and send me a good husband. And God's saying, I can't do that because you made some vows. You, You made some legal covenants in your spiritual life. And they're hindering your prayers. You see, a lot of Christians are worried about witches casting spells on them. You've got to be worried about your own mouth and your own words more than witches. The power of life and death is in your tongue. And I'll give you a personal example. I had a, I had a vehicle that had some problems with, so I, and I didn't really think about this, but I made a vow. And from that moment on, every vehicle I had had starter problems. Every car I had had starter problems. I got to become an expert in fixing starters. And one day I'm under the car taking down a starter, and I'm praying. He said you ought to pray always and not lose heart. And I am saying, God, why am I having starter issues with every car? Listen, if you don't notice the patterns of failure in your life, you are going, you're missing an opportunity. If there are patterns of failure in your life, you need to stop and talk to God and say, why does this thing keep happening? And while I'm there doing this thing, uh, taking down this starter, He says, you remember what you said? You said, I'll never depend on anyone for my cars again. And that means me too. If you don't depend on anyone but yourself, that means God too. You know that. And I know we'd say, well, I didn't mean that. Well, the point is that it's going to have this, the effect whether you mean it or not. And that, that day, I repented. I said, God, I, I cancel whatever I've said that ruled you out of my car life. And guess what? I didn't even take the starter down. I just, I just tightened everything back up. And the next morning, that car turned on, no problems. And never replace that starter again. And that problem was solved in my, in my life. Is there a church here tonight? I told you we're going to go deep. Because what I want you to see is that there are legal statements that we make sometimes that are, that are giving access to the enemy in our life. And the Bible says... That God is a God of vengeance. He exacts vengeance. He takes takes legal justice or acts of justice against the enemy on behalf of the believer. But you and I have to understand, we have to come to God and understand, okay, God, this is what I did. This was wrong. 
I brought that into my life. In my case, it was a, an inner vow. In your case, it might be letting witchcraft into your home. It might be drug use. It might be alcohol. It might be uh, pornography. It might be some kind of uh, sexual sin. Whatever it is that you've let into your life that has allowed the enemy to have access, you need to bring that to God and repent. And ask the judge to shut that door and to destroy the power of the enemy against your life. Is there a church here tonight? Look at Proverbs 6.31. Proverbs 6.31. Another example while you go there, a man who said, when he was a little boy, his his father was the only one that ate meat. Everybody else ate sides. And he vowed, I will eat meat every day of my life when I grow up. And then he was having health complications in his adult life. Because he had vowed something to himself that ultimately was not God's best for him. So, what do we see in this, in this proverb? He says, proverb here at 631, but when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. Look at verse 30, just to get the whole context there. He says, men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. For when he is found, what must he do? He must repay sevenfold. Now let's talk about, I just talked about sometimes things that happen or that we invite into our life, but sometimes things happen that we didn't invite into our life. Because the devil is a devil. He's a thief. And sometimes things happen that, that we allowed, and other times things happen that are just attacks. And what does the scripture say? He says, when he is found... When he's brought to justice, the enemy has to repay seven times what he stole. Listen, God is a God of recompense. And so tonight, when you uh, think about this level of prayer, you think about what has the enemy stolen from my life? As far as God is concerned, he has to repay you. The enemy has to repay and. And this uh, powerful scripture is reiterated in the book of James in a different context, but I'll close with this, James. Ahora vaya a Santiago. Chapter 5. Capítulo 5. Verse 4. It says, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld from you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. What does this say here? It says that when, when somebody steals wages or they hold back a, a person's wages, that the cry of the wages here reaches the ears of God. God is a just God. 
He says, I've looked, I've looked and I've seen how my people haven't been paid what they deserved. And he's talking about the day laborer, which according to the law of Israel, had to be paid daily. You couldn't, you couldn't hold back the, wa the wages of someone who had uh, paid for you. And so what is, what is God saying? You're not strong enough to argue your case. And you're not strong enough to get your uh, employer to give you what's due. But if you bring the case to me, I am strong enough. I was having this conversation with, with a, a gentleman. He said, uh, Pastor, I have, I've been working at this company this many years and they haven't given me a raise. I said, well, let me give you something to pray about. And he took a hold of this verse and it got a hold of him. And he started to pray for justice in that area of his life. And God sent, uh, sent that move upon the heart of his employer. And he was given the raise that he was, that he was asking God for. And, and I think many other people in the company as well. God is waiting for somebody to approach him on the basis of his word. Now, you can spend all your time complaining about, they don't pay me right, they don't treat me right, they don't give me what I'm due, or you can go into the courtroom and say, God, I'm your child, here's what your word says. I stand on that word, and I ask you to bring about what you have promised in my life. Come on, is there a church in here tonight? I said, is there a church in here tonight? Let's stand together then. Praise the Lord. I asked you that question because it's so important. What a church is, a church is not a group of people. It is a, it is a gathering of believers in the name of Jesus. And that gathering of believers has the power to bind and loose. And Jesus said to the church, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven.